If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're listening to Connecting the Dots with Matt Arendt on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. All right, welcome for the second hour of Connecting the Dots. I'm your host, Matt Arendt. With me today is my good friend, Tom Luongo, who is a geopolitical, geoeconomic analyst. Uh, he runs Guns, Goat, Guns, Gold, and Gun... Sorry. Go- guns, Gold, and Goats. Huh? No. Nope. Goats, Gold, goats gold and, guns. and Guns. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, pi- uh, website, it's a, it's a fantastic platform. Uh, everyone should go to that. Um, I'm sick as a dog. I've woken up completely, completely hammered by the flu. Um, I'm I'm trudging through this. I'm going to make it through it. Tom, thank you for joining me today. I got a lot of questions to ask you. Um, number one, what do you what, what's your take right now? I mean, as it stands, the uh, the U.S. just just vetoed the, uh, the another ceasefire uh, proposition at the United Nations uh, yet again. <clears throat> People are saying that. Well, you know what? I'm not even going to say what people are saying. What's your take? What's going on? Why? Are, what's the logic? What's the grand strategy right now? And what's going? I, I'm assuming that you're you're of the the view that this was probably an inside job, or at the very least, some sense of manipulation that that made this thing happen. Or what's your take on the uh, the the Israel bomb going off at this point in history? Well, it's it clearly Project Ukraine is on the downswing, so we needed to have something mm-hmm. new. Um, whether or not now the thing is is that we know that the uh that the iran and 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 company were planning some kind of operation like this because they talked about it back in may uh so everybody knew this thing was coming so then the question is if everybody knew this thing was coming how do you call this thing some kind of surprise attack by hamas that being said um you know never let a uh a crisis go to waste right um so is it a false flag is it you know, was this a, was it an evil act by Hamas or was it a little bit of both? I, I I tend in the camp of a little bit of both. So the you know, it's really hard, Matt. Israeli politics are a mess uh, from what I understand. And it to me, it's like there's a wedge being being pushed, uh, being created between the European powers and the Anglo-American powers, for lack of a better term, what I like to call the neocons centered around the Brits in the United States. And then there's Davos and the EU and the French and German deep state. And when you look at Israeli politics, you have Netanyahu maps to the Americans and the Brits. And then you have like the Natalie Bennett's and the rest of them clearly are pushing a wedge um, and, and trying to distance themselves from that 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 uh uh that faction for uh for lack of a better term it maps all the way back to the jcpoa which is why netanyahu hated it it's why trump hated it and it's why you know the french loved it because they pushed so hard for it why because francis total was the first one to sign a a big oil deal with iran after the jcpoa went into effect and the sanctions were lifted europe doesn't have any collateral they don't have any energy Okay, their financial system is in serious, serious trouble, and they know it. And so pushing the U.S. in effect out of the Middle East, um, they have, you know, effectively the Islamic world has a, a lack of a better term, an ally in this, and that's Europe, because Europe doesn't have 
anything without a a split ultimately between them and the US. And at the same time, they're also working very hard via their their effectively ownership of the upper end of the Biden administration to get the United States to do stuff that it shouldn't be doing. Like, I don't know, vetoing a ceasefire on humanitarian grounds in in Gaza. So mm-hmm. like we're at this point where it's it's like everybody's conspiring in some way to destroy the US, right? opening the border, the, all of this stuff, and, you know, getting us involved and trying to get us involved in a war we can't win, while at the same mm-hmm. time revealing that to the rest of the world that we're just a clown world now and that we're the evil empire. When the reality is, is that, well, there's certainly factions within the U.S. that are part of the evil cabal, because the U.S. isn't a monolith either. Um, it's it, it's just all breaking down but it's but who's pushing this push towards you know totalitarianism and and the great reset and everything else that's all coming out of europe folks it's not coming out of ultimately out of the us okay we're mm-hmm. clearly a vassal state when it comes to that project and on that front when we're obviously pushing things on other and, and we have other factions that are pushing you know the kind of classic um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, so, you know, British architect, British geopolitical strategy of like Halford Mackinder wanting to destroy Russia and control the world island, or if they can't control the world island, then, you know, we break it apart and we keep it a mess, which is what has been going on for centuries. So it's, we're at a, this really weird moment in time where everybody is pushing for their agendas and their agendas are all kind of moving in different directions. For a while, they yeah. were all in they were all like the venn diagram and the overlap of all their agendas was, was there and that was like during the trump administration get rid of trump right you know push you know push the russians as hard as possible then now that the russians have basically you know said look you guys threw everything but the kitchen sink at us and we're surviving if not thriving and now we're making friends all around the world uh yeah. everybody else is trying to figure out how it is that they can get the most out of this that they can over the next, you know, 18 months to five years. And that's, I think, where so, we are. And I think Israel Gaza is like the the thing that they've opened, there's that wound that they've opened up to try and, you know, gain their advantage. The same way that they tried to gain mm-hmm. advantage over Ukraine and then failed. Mm-hmm. So when you say that all of the interests were more or less more in alignment under Trump, mm-hmm. is that because there was generally a climate of trying to create business agreements, uh, not you know, that, that Trump wasn't necessarily trying to advance the technocratic transhumanist agenda and was instead trying to right. create an environment conducive to to signing deals to do business with countries in the Middle East or China or Russia. Is, is that what you mean? And that brought well, what I mean, uh, by, what I mean by this is that they, that Trump was a statement of <clears throat> sovereignism in the U.S., right? <clears throat> Just like mm-hmm. Viktor Orban is a sta- is a is a node of sovereignism in Hungary, just like Putin is a a node of sovereignism in 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 Russia, right? Xi in China, and who hates sovereignty? Who hate and and calls it populism, which is just a uh, which is just a dog whistle for nationalism? We all know that nationalism is just a uh, another way of saying Nazi. Like who 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 puts that kind of rhetoric out there? You you answer that question and you understand and understand how this is all playing out. Trump was trying to stop the 
in his own ham-fisted way, stop the betrayal of the United States by globalist yeah. forces centered in Europe for, you know, for their purposes. And he had to be gotten rid of for that reason, because that took more uh, precedent than anything else. But during his administration, he was undermined by neocons because they wanted to destroy Russia. I'm sure that back in 2016, Davos was all about destroying Russia too, is what I was trying to say. But once Ukraine failed, and once all the sanctions failed, and now the blowback from all of, from that failed policy is blowing back on them. Well, now they're like trying to figure out how to scramble and and accelerate the destruction of the United States in order to keep capital from fleeing what's left of Europe. Because that's the gig now. That's the real issue now. We're, we're standing at a moment in time. And this is when you when you when you opened up the saying by saying I'm a geoeconomic analyst. As well. So I look at the intersection between geopolitics as we see them on the surface and the financial markets and what's and what's driving the imperatives there. Because all of this power in the West ultimately rests on American military enforcing debt slavery on uh, colonial actor, you know, uh, colonial victims through the financial markets. And if you take the leverage, and I mean that in a financial sense, the leverage, like 10 to 1, you know, levering up, you know, taking a billion dollars with debt and turning a billion dollars of money, turning it to $10 billion of, of more money through the fractional reserve system, and then using that to get real, honest to God, political leverage around the world. Once you start reversing that leverage process, which is what Powell has done by raising rates to five and a half percent, you can argue with me as to whether he did this for that reason or not for that reason, for other reasons, that's fine. But the reality is because he did that, it's now causing everybody to scramble because all of a sudden, um, the Great Reset's really expensive at five and a half percent. It was cheap at zero percent because at zero percent, you know, money is cheap and therefore leverage is is, is infinite. And at five and a half percent, it's not. And that's where we are today. And the people who are most vulnerable to this, and when you look, when you take a step back and just kind of look at everybody's balance sheet around the world, the US, Japan, Russia, Europe, and whatnot, you, you come to a very quick conclusion that Europe is the most vulnerable because they're the, theirs is the balance sheet that is the weakest after right. 15 years of, of, uh, of ZERP and then NERP, meaning negative interest rates. And, um, and that's where we are today. And the you know, German industry is not competitive with Japan, where they compete, where they compete. There's all sorts of, of, of stuff coming on. So Israel Gaza is just like, it's, it, it's like, it's the wound you see, but what's festering underneath it is a much, much deeper wound, right? It's the tip of the, of the financial and geopolitical iceberg, um, at this point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're able to move the ship from place to place in order to run into a different ice and they keep running into different icebergs, but they're all the same, right. but it's all the same iceberg at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. If I can, yeah, if I can mix important. metaphors badly, let me. If I can mix metaphors badly, so <laughs> yeah, no, you're allowed to mix metaphors badly. That's that's your okay. You're right on this. Thanks. No. appreciate it. No problem. Um, I guess that 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 is one of the most important things that I, I really appreciate about your way of thinking is that you differentiate the nation states and the the different power players and power blocks within nation states from the the cult, the the transhumanist cult, mm -hmm. which is sort of centered itself around davos which mm -hmm. doesn't do things so much for money or for business although that's why davos was nominally created was to facilitate business deals and what have you but no there's something right. within that thing which is not animated by that not even survival in fact mm -hmm. it's animated by 
a disdain for nations, a disdain for people, mm -hmm. and is more than happy to destroy capital and destroy industry in order Absolutely. to maintain its power. And the fact Agreed. that you, many people, they take this for granted and they don't take the time to map out, well, who are the different interests who will be flushed, who might have money, might have power in France and Germany, in the United States, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't want this outcome for themselves. And then you could start getting a sense of why are things happening, which you won't, mm -hmm. you, we're not, we're not flies on the wall in these backroom discussions, but we can infer it as you pointed yes. out. Um, and then get a sense of, okay, how, what, what is behind the scenes regarding the blowing up of the situation in, uh, Israel and Gaza? What, what, mm -hmm. what, what is going on behind that? Right. But on this note, Putin mm -hmm. currently is in, he's met with, uh, the head of Saudi Arabia, bin Salman, mm -hmm. uh, with UAE, yeah. Iran. <clears throat> he's brought in a big delegation as part of the, I mean, I think not the excuse nominally was COP28 to go down, but there's other things going on, obviously, behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, I, we only have two minutes before the break, but maybe we could start off and then pick it up after the break, but start sure. off, what do you think is going on there? Oh, well, I think it's going on there is the end. Of, is, I mean, it's what everybody would like to call the end of the petrodollar, but the petrodollar has really been dying for a long time. There's a bigger thing happening here. Putin has is is going to uh, uh, put a, an exclamation point on what happened at the BRICS summit last year uh, and to let everybody know that the the power players in the Middle East are not coming back to the West, that we control the collateral for the global financial system and you don't. Now the, now, the United States has plenty of collateral. We have natural resources. We have oil. So does, so does Canada. But Europe does not. And, and the rest of the world is getting tired of this, our dollars, your problem. And they've turned it into our commodities, your problem. This is the Zoltan Pozar argument, the analyst from Credit Suisse, uh, the way he, he framed it. I think that that's what Putin is doing and by thumbing his nose at the International Criminal Court warrant against, you know, for his arrest and all of this other stuff. He's basically saying, look, you know, I may not be welcome where you are, where, where y'all are in power. That's fine. I don't care. I'm welcome here. And then he brings the head of the Russian Central Bank with him <laughs> to to ensure that everybody gets the message. This is about the money. And mm -hmm. this is about a new financial architecture. So. Yeah, that's what I'm that's, saying. Yeah, no, that, there, there's something <laughs> so much bigger. I mean, it, it's yeah. really, yeah, it's super important. And the fact, again, that you just pointed out, he brought Elvira Nebulina uh, with him as well, mm -hmm. which is a huge message. Why, why would you bring the head of the central bank with you to a climate summit? I mean, there's no. And sorry, yeah. why would you bring, why would MBS break Islamic protocol and shake her hand? Oh, right. This is a big deal. He huh. shook her hand. You know, without gloves on or, you know, just he, but this was how important this was, right? I, okay. It's a big, this is a big, big deal. And I, you know, right. I, I wonder, I wonder how many people have, you know, are, are left in our administrations that understand these, these subtleties, because it doesn't sound to me like they do. So, yeah. We're, we're going to pull on this thread a lot more after we come back from a short break. There's been TNT Radio connecting the dots. Go to TNTradio.live. 
TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit um, because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. We don't rock, rock. we talk. talk. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, welcome back to Connecting the Dots on TNT Radio. With me is Tom Luongo. We've been discussing a lot of geopolitics. We're going to continue to pull a thread that uh, we began uh, scratching on before the break. 
Um, Tom, you had mentioned something about, and I, I want to get back to the the issue of Russia. And I think we're going to do this at Russia in, in the Middle East, especially with Saudi Arabia. I think we're going to do this laterally. Um, but you had mentioned in a recent uh, essay or, or an article that you wrote that was picked up on Zero Hedge about mm-hmm. your um, hypothesis that Saudi Arabia is likely expecting a large wave of attacks on their economy pretty soon. Um, what makes you say that? Um, let's start with the imperatives of the Biden administration, Mm. which is they are coming into an election year. Not that I believe that Joe Biden is going to be the the presidential nominee or anything like that. I I firmly believe it's going to be California governor, Gavin Grusom, um, at this point, but that's irrelevant. The Democrats have to do something about their terrible situation politically within the US. So you have three, you have a, a number of factors that say we need a lower price of oil. And they've been you know, fighting for this. They've got to refill the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. They've got to keep inflation down because we know that most of the inflation that we've had post-COVID has been a commodity cost push inflation style, meaning it's all tied to the price of gasoline. Um, so, and I, and I can and I showed that in the article. I think I showed it in the article. If I didn't show it in that article, I, I published it in the, this in, for either for my patrons and and for uh, and, and behind the paywall. Um, you can just take a rolling four month average of the uh, of the CPI in the United States and 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 plot it against the, uh, the the wholesale price of gasoline futures, and you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So for the next three or four months, we're going to have a low inflation rate. Um, which is going to, which is the, they're going to be able to say, look, we've tamed inflation. The Fed can lower interest rates. We, you know, why is the, why is the Fed so evil and making everybody poor, blah, 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 blah. We didn't do this to you. The Fed's doing this to you. That's going to be a major uh, talking point. But so you have a number of reasons why they want to bomb the price of oil, not the least of which is to punish the Saudis for um, siding with BROPEC as opposed to the U.S., being Biden and 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 solid. everybody goes to the Saudis to talk to them and they can't get anywhere. And Putin is given, you know, a state's welcome, right? A hero's welcome. Clearly that um so and the Saudis can't afford a uh a, a, the oil price at this point in time to drop much low lower than about $70 a barrel. Uh, their break-even price is around eighty dollars a barrel. When you factor in all budgetary considerations, they pull it out of the ground for ten bucks a barrel, but they have seventy to sixty to seventy dollars a barrel worth of costs against that oil revenue to run their their state, their their uh, you know their their social welcare system and everything else. Yeah, and that, that's so, their whole, that's their primary that's their economy, right? I mean, they're they're their that's their primary and that's their primary they, revenue. They don't have source, anything. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. I mean, to, to quote, to, to, to paraphrase John McCain, the real gas station masquerading as a country is Saudi Arabia, not Russia. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, but the Saudis have a move that they can make to offset that, which is the same move that Putin and the Russians made back in 2014, 2015, which is to allow the, to break the peg of the Saudi real to the dollar, at which point they pay their costs in real and they, um, um, and they book their revenue in dollars. And so if the price of oil drops, well, they can still get the same number of real effectively if they, uh, if they allow the, the real to depreciate against the dollar um, and don't defend it, right? If they end the peg, same thing will happen with, by the way, with the Hong Kong dollar peg. And, you know, being a kind of being a, for the most part, a doctrinaire Austro-libertarian, 
all currency pegs break, all price floors and price ceilings create shortages, and eventually they are they have to be destroyed. At the same time, we have Janet Yellen, you know, this desperately trying to enforce the $60 per barrel price cap on Russian Urals grade oil. So they absolutely want to starve the the continue to try and starve the Russians at the same time, now put the, the Saudis under political attack for because they need to be punished for getting out from trying to get out from underneath the system. By the way, the UAE, the dirham is also pegged to the dollar. So they have the same problem. And they've already announced that they're going to stop taking dollars for their oil trade, which is another way of saying they're going to break the peg of the dirham. The thing that got me thinking in, along these lines were two things that the, this that this was now imminent. I've been talk, calling for this for years, saying the Saudis need to depeg. They should do it when the price of oil is, is high, so they make it makes it easier for them to do so. Maybe the real strengthens a little bit, but whatever. Let the world know that you're you know you're no longer going to do petrodollar recycling into U.S. Treasuries. Two things happened. One, China and the Saudi Arabians. Uh, uh, signed a, a $7 billion currency swap deal. And $7 billion doesn't sound like a lot, but it's not about the size of it. It's about the flow. And so now that, that China and um, Saudi Arabia are, are transacting oil, uh, making oil transactions outside of the dollar, there's, that's going to put pressure on the real to depeg anyway. The second thing is something that a friend of mine, uh, Vince Lanchi, uh, posted up on Twitter. He was talking to a friend of his in China um and said look the chinese are at point using their dollar uh, foreign exchange reserves to make loans to their trading partners in dollars but repayable in yuan so hmm. they're making dollar loans say five billion dollars to indonesia or to a thailand or to a, you know a thai rice company or rubber company or whatever but hey you don't have to pay us back in dollars you can pay us back in yuan well this does a number of things um, but I'll leave those aside for a second. The reason why we know that this is effective is because this is exactly what the Chinese did with the Russians back during the ruble crisis of 2014. They opened up swap lines. And when the Russians needed dollars, the Chinese backdoored dollars into Russia and Russia repaid the loan in Yuan. Okay. And they had a big, they, and if you remember like earlier that year, this was in earlier in 2014, when the big, power siberia 400 billion dollar pipeline deal was cut right after the 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 yanukovych was thrown out of ukraine right two months later russia and china signed the massive um oil pipeline deal um and and by the way china got a very good deal from the russians on that hmm, i wonder why because they knew what was coming next which is that there was going to be an attack on the price of oil eventually putin would have to uh, radically devalue the the ruble and that they would have to de-dollarize begin de-dollarizing the russian economy well guess what all the infrastructure is in place now same thing there was a big the saudis and the chinese cut a big infrastructure deal i don't remember for what but something big infrastructure deal recently on top of of course their oil sales so all the infrastructure is in place to replicate what happened eight nine years ago in russia in saudi arabia hmm. And the Chinese yeah, are the bankers. And it's all right. set up. It's all right there in front of you. And the incentives are there for the U.S. to attack the price of oil. They've already been doing it. Um, and by the way, Europe needs a cheap price of oil as well, because since they don't have any collateral, um, the euro is literally tied to the price of oil at this point. 
If the price of oil rises, the euro, you'll note that on the same days, the euro tends to rise. Why? Because they need to keep the euro price of Brent crude as low as possible because they can't afford the inflation. They can't afford the, the, the cost. It's destroying the, and gutting the European economy. And of course, it's, it's forcing the ECB to have to monetize even more debt, sovereign debt around and, and play you know, the shell game of sticking it in one pocket over here and somebody else's pocket over there. Um, so this is a game that has been going on now for a little over a year and, you know, it's going to end. I don't know when it's going to end, but it's likely going to end soon. I, I've, I've heard, I've seen too many reports recently of sincere problems occurring within the European banking system. I've seen too many high ranking European officials screaming about how we need that fiscal integration. That's a key. That's a key one. Lagarde said it well she always says it but mario draghi came out of his cave and said it recently and we've seen it in, in other places von der Leyen, the, the 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 some of the the german uh, uh, uh higher ranking politicians and whatnot we've seen a lot of this and then there's you know notes about ubs is in trouble deutsche bank's in trouble this one's in trouble that one's in trouble so what what does that mean to you the stage integration of what I mean by fiscal integration in, in the EU, now the EU doesn't have, has 27, or well, in this case, 20 member central banks that all issue their own credit. They all issue their own sovereign debt. Mm. And the ECB just plays a shell game between them. Um, and um, okay. the ECB doesn't really issue euros. The Italian central bank issues euros. The Bundesbank issues, uh, issues euros. The French mm. central bank issues euros. The Greek central bank issues euros, right? So... Um, they sell debt and then create euros. So, the uh, what they they ultimately want in in uh, in Europe is both political and fiscal integration. Meaning they're going to collapse the member central banks into the European Central Bank. Okay, gotcha. that's what's coming, yeah. and that's what they mean by this. Mm -hmm. And and they're giving the European Commission taxing authority, and they put that they started that with the COVID relief system, and then the issuance, by the way, of euro bonds issued by the EC, by the EC, the European Commission. And that started with these, they're called sure bonds. Um, and that started in, you know, post COVID. And that's like, again, the camel's in the nose under the tent of the, uh, the destruction of individual sovereignty of the member nations within the European Union at a fiscal and taxation level. They need this. They need the centralized taxing authority. The Euro Europe is not the United States of Europe. They've got 20, eight members and they're all issuing one once half of them you know eight of them have different currencies it, hungary it sounds kind of like the the the, the uh, articles of confederation uh, yes. pre-constitution america kind, kind similar. of that's yes right yes okay it's similar and so um it, it's similar and then so that's what we had then and then we we made the the choice me personally, I think it was the wrong choice, but that's for a, for a variety of variety of different reasons. But I can understand why, at a, at a certain level, we had to do so in order to um, to stop the British from you know tearing the colonies apart back then. But in in general, creating a centralized debt um, monolithic debt structure for fifty different geographies is not a particularly good idea, right? Um, it's it, it destroys the individual cultures within that thing, but whether or not we have to band together as a group in order to fight off a bigger evil is a different story. And that's really the way this the way, the way the metaphor lays out here. Now the problem is is that the center of evil, and as far as I'm concerned, is in the European Union because they're the 
they're the commies. They're the real commies, not the Russians, not the Chinese. Um, and I actually see the the way the Russians and the Chinese have reacted with their kind of state capitalism as again a is a reaction against the you know implacable um, the desire for hegemony coming out of Europe and then by extension the United States. And I think that once that imperative is gone, I think we'll actually see. Um, it'll, it'll be a much different world. I don't know that I'm going to live long enough to see that world. You're younger than I'm at, so younger than me. So you may see it, but I'm not. Uh, I'm talking now 2050, 2060, 2070, where, you know, the world could break properly, break up into, you know, uh, break some of these these large monolithic um, political institutions, you know, pieces. It may happen in the next few years, but I doubt it. I think we're actually seeing more centralization before it all breaks up. Um well, we're definitely and if it seeing... does happen, it should happen organically and it shouldn't happen because somebody wants it to somebody wants it to happen in order for them to con consolidate and continue the power that they shouldn't be wielding. Yeah. This is why well, I we it. definitely have a uh, a parasitical oligarchical thing that's like latched onto humanity for for far too long, which right. has been doing a lot of damage. And uh I mean we see we see um a fight throughout history against this thing. I mean, the, I think the very mm -hmm. success of the American revolution is something which didn't fall into the feudalist doctrine of the, the oligarchical class right. of Britain that, and, and the broader families of Europe that wanted to, to go back to the beautiful, the good old, the good old days of yes. feudalism where yes. <laughs> humans knew their, 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 their role as talking cows and the, the, the masters right. knew their and role all, in, in unchallenged. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, I want to ask, and I think that the, the side that the, I think what's happening with OPEC and Russia, or now BROPEC, which I think is hilarious, by the way, to call it BROPEC because they're <laughs> added Brazil. All right, um, I think that that's what we're seeing here. I think when you listen to Putin speak carefully, you realize that he understands what this, what the real fight is, and that these are all just skirmishes in the larger war, and the larger war is to end this impulse at least for the next cycle of history it's is it going to come back at some point in the future of course it does we, we've got history it tells us it's going to come back but there's beautiful periods of decentralization that occur after you know large empires die and i just don't buy the argument that the united states is that empire i think it's literally the end of the old european empire um you know, and that it's taken, you know, because at some point this thing went transnational years ago, centuries ago. And, you know, it was never, it was never just Italy or just France or just Germany or just the Brits or even just the United States. It was whoever those people, what I like to call Davos, um, that, uh, you know, they've transcended their own nation. I mean, the nation state itself is only a, what, 200 years old. If it's even that old, pretty new. like the Bismarckian na yeah. nation state is only 150 years old in, in, in the same, in that kind of sense. So I don't know, like it's a, hmm. it, it's all a very specious argument from a certain perspective and, and that respect, but it's always been a kind of, you know, so lack of, a, you know, a lack of a better term is, as you put it, a parasitic oligarchy that we've been trying to fight for a long, long time. And it doesn't matter what hat they wear or what language they speak, um, that impulse. Mm -hmm 
has to be minimized. Yeah. And uh, I that's think that's the impulse. It's the impulse, right? It's the oligarchical yeah. principle that that's the thing mm -hmm. to zero in on in the mind. Because uh, you'll, yeah. you'll find it in every culture, where in Asian right. culture, deep history, you'll find it in Western European, you'll find it. It's always this Agreed. impulse. Uh, we, we talk a little bit more about that, but we're, first we're going to go for a break. Mm -hmm. Connecting the dots, TNT Radio. If you want to know more and follow the show uh, online, go to uh, TNTRadio.live. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. That's our Fourth Amendment. Thank heavens and the founders that we have it. Why? Well, let's look at Ireland. They're trying to ram through a bill before Christmas that would authorize the Guardi to enter a house and seize any electronic devices they found if the government somehow found something objectionable, whether liking the wrong post on social media, making the wrong comment, or visiting the wrong website. That is the very definition of tyranny, and it's why we fought a war to throw it off. Hopefully, the Irish will figure out the importance of banning government intrusion like this before it's too late for them. And hopefully, we in the United States never lose sight of how important it is to keep the government at bay. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Need a ride? Yeah! Driving with kids is a big responsibility. Hop in and buckle up! So don't sweat the small stuff. You got paint all over our paper! Get the big stuff right instead. What does that mean? Like making sure your kids are in the correct car seat and buckled up for safer travel. That deserves a wiggly wiggly wig. To make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. You're listening to Connecting the Dots with Matt Arendt on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. Welcome back to Connecting the Dots. All right. With me today still is Tom Luongo. Tom, the bricks, um, mm. they're going to grow very fast. Um, by January, we're going to have Saudi Arabia, UAE, Egypt, uh, Iran, um, no and longer Ethiopia. Argentina, but and Ethiopia. Right. That's a big one. So mm -hmm. what do you see? What do you what do you foresee in January as far as the next shift in um, multipolar integration and also do you see like an unpegging of the u.s dollar from uh or of these different countries from the u.s dollar as far as their 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 trade as we see beginning with saudi arabia do you see this spreading to other countries sure um i definitely i i i it, saudi arabia has to do this if they want to be an independent actor and they want to survive this series the this this um uh this period of history uh the uae will do the same thing and the uae is going to wind up being everybody was worried for years or or expected for years that singapore would become the new like new zurich right uh the zurich of the new world uh of, the, of east of uh asia i think it's going to want to be in the uae um abu dhabi and uh, and dubai i think are I think that's it now. I think there's, I'll be honest with you. I think there's too much British influence in, in, in Singapore for that to happen. Same thing with, with Hong Kong, right? When the British leave an area, they always leave X and not X. So India and not India or, right. And so, mm. um, Venezuela, Guyana, 
for example, we was talking with Alex Craner about this on, on an unpublished episode of my podcast that we'll, we'll put out tomorrow or, or Monday. Um, and he brought it up and I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that happened too, right? They always do this. And so Hong Kong, of course, when they, you know, when they back out of China, they left Hong Kong behind. Um, the, the currency pegs are thing are, are, are ticking time bombs for everybody who has one. It doesn't matter if it's Hong Kong or, or the Saudis or the Saudis or UAE or anybody else. And so eventually it's going to hurt for them to do so. Um, but they have to do it. Okay. And what the BRICS with these countries moving into the BRICS does for them is it opens up for them, you know, access, you know, assets and, and access to, the infrastructure that it's already been built to help them weather that storm. That's the key that they have an infrastructure, they have a place to go. They have an alternative to the IMF loan sharks. Yeah. It may be Chinese and Russian loan sharks as opposed to Belgian and American loan sharks, but it's, it's a different set. And for right now, that may be better for them. And, you know, and it may be better for 20, 30 or 50 years. The Russians and the Chinese may be as good as their word. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I, I refuse to even, you know, couch this in anything other than like mob boss terms. You know, you may be throwing off one set of mob bosses for a different set of mob bosses. That's fine. But, you know, at a certain point, there's also something to remind yourselves of, which is that at least the mob has an ethos. Like our mob has lost all core ethos of what it is we actually believe in, how we treat our, our, our customers and everything else. We're now in that, we're now in that terrible moment where states act like states, where they blame the customer, they blame the of their they blame the customer of their services, and they turn them into and they turn us just into victims. And when the state turns parasitic like that, that's when the state loses its legitimacy. As of right now, you can make the argument that you know the Russians, Chinese, and 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 the others within the BRICS alliance are making the argument that we're we're not. At that point, we're not going to punish you. We're welcoming you into a new, uh, a, a new mm-hmm. alliance that's going to be beneficial, to, mutually beneficial for everybody. It, again, it may not last forever in a day. You don't have to trust the Russians or trust the Chinese. I'm not saying these are this that the BRICS are a stable institution. They may be just mm-hmm. as metastable as Davos and the Club of Rome set, but it may last three, four hundred years. We don't know. It all depends on how, and what they do over the course of the next 10, certainly within the next five to 10 years when during the, the, the sincerely difficult period as we transition from one to the other. After that, we'll, we'll depend on how good their word is. And uh, we'll find out. I know Putin's as good as his word, which is why he's been able to bring everybody online. But, he, but at the same token, you could make the argument that Putin had no other choice than, the, than to be as good as his word. Because how else are you going to get people to switch sides against right. and 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 you know repudiate their relationships with the United States, with France, with Britain, and the rest of them? Now we were making yeah, yeah. it easy for them, but Putin made it even easier for them by going in with very deft diplomacy and being as good as his word at every turn, yeah. and for the most part, G backing every one of his plays. Yeah. No, that, that's important. It's not like you're calling where no one's calling Putin or, or uh, Xi angels or anything. It's just that it's better self-interest generally to be consistent people. and to, yeah, to be honorable in your business dealings 
and to try to create a situation where Syria doesn't get overthrown. That's bad for business if you're going to have uh, another Libya or Iraq and your southern border. Not good. So you could even just look at it from that well, standpoint. I, I, and, even, and even from Russia's perspective, right? If Syria mm -hmm. falls, then the entirety of the Middle East is, you know, it gets it 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 destabilizes Russia's southern border. It, it this is good for Russia first, right? And don't ever mm. don't ever think that Putin is acting in anybody else's best interest, in, but for Russia's. But what he was unable to understand was that the game, that the big win, was to get everybody else to repudiate the West, and by doing what he did, was consistently go in and give the us a black eye and call its bluff syria was a bluff we were using you know al-qaeda proxies you know al-qaeda who bombed us on 9 11 apparently um to you know apparently. overthrow bashar al-assad and oh somehow we can't fight isis they just sprung out of holes in the ground like dwarf like dwarven women or something to quote gimli and then <laughs> you know sort of running roughshod over the entire world like and somehow we weren't able to fight them like if you remember back to 20 the the early 2015 this is what was going on and Rand paul was sitting there in the senate going then why are we spending all this money on defense if we can't fight these people we can't fight a bunch of guys running around in toyota pickup trucks we can read license plates from space but we can't find these guys i it, it beggared description so of course putin walks in in october the end of october in 2015 and blows the whole thing wide open and then what happens after that the russians and the americans don't get into direct conflict with one another. Every opportunity, when the Russians pushed mm -hmm. up against American forces, the Americans backed off. They put, they, they may have given more money to the Kurds and you know fought them that fought them that way or whatever, but it was never going to be Russia versus the United States in Syria. It all had to be proxies, mm -hmm. and everybody saw it for what it was. So no one had the stomach for direct confrontation between Russia and the United States in the Pentagon while the Russian Ministry of Defense was going, well, I don't want this either, but guess what? If you continue to act the way you're acting, we're going to have that problem. Push, push, push. And then eventually, and what the and what people like Victoria Nuland and the rest of them were setting up in Ukraine was, oh, well, we'll show these Russians. We'll just take, we'll just arm Ukraine to the teeth and then it'll be a real war. Because they didn't fight a real war in Syria. Now we'll fight a real war against a real army that we trained. And the Russians are like, well, you know, we do know how to, a thing or two about fighting in, in, in eastern Ukraine. We've only been doing it for about 500 years or so. Just, just saying, Vicky. Like, and, th and then we saw it play out. But I, 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 Matt, I saw the Ukraine thing and the sanctions and everything else. I said, the Russians are, are set up perfectly for this. They've got national savings. They've got a free-floated euro. They've got a strong the relationship with china like and in the last nine years they've you know broadened their economy to ensure that you know they're in everything they made themselves indispensable across too many markets aluminum tungsten uranium grain chickens pork and oil and gas how about manufacturing um has russia been able to really build up a an, an authentic manufacturing sector as well or is it, it still is, just it, extraction it, of, of resources 
No, I think the 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 the, re, the the big thing recently, and this is again started under Putin about ten years ago, was they're now producing their own one hundred percent locally sourced airplanes, seven thirty seven equivalents. Now, an airline industry, a domestic airline industry. Oh, by the way, by our manufacturing prowess came from that and from automobiles. 90%, I mean, that's so much of what drove a manufacturing excellence in the United States and the industrialization of the United States was the production of an airline, uh, a domestic airline industry and a domestic right. automobile industry and, of course, defense. Right. And so Russia now has both of those things in a way that they didn't have 10 years ago. Are they behind in chip technology? Yes, they are, way behind. But do they need, you know, anything better than a 28 nanometer, than 28 nanometer chips to run an airplane and to, and to, to run a car? Mm. No, we don't, they don't need seven nanometer or five nanometer production to, to, you know, they can get that stuff from the Chinese. They don't, mm -hmm. and it's fine. So it, it's mm -hmm. one of those things where, you know, yes, are they, do they have other deficiencies still? Do they have access to high-end optics and, and, and um, whatnot? Are they, yeah. are they behind on some of that stuff? Yes. Are they behind on some of the high-end metallurgy? Yes. Will they will they will they get ahead eventually? Yes, like everything else, because it's just technology. You can ring fence it through sanctions and patents and everything else all you want, but at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> they're just ideas, man. And you mm -hmm. know, intellectual property is the ultimate oxymoron. So, in the real world, when push comes to shove, I've got stuff, I've got people, we can build a line, we can do the thing. Oh, you stole that technology from us, you owe us. Yeah, in what court? So yeah, it'll come. But you know, if you look at the 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 uh, economic data coming out of the Russians right now, even if you don't believe all of it, even if you only you know, bracket that it's only eighty percent accurate or ninety percent accurate or whatever you want to say, it's still very very good. Uh, the mm -hmm. da the data is very very good. And you know, um, purchasing manager index, uh, industrial production numbers, yada yada yada, they're all good. Like employment's down, you know, unemployment is down, inflation is you know what it is. With a, with, a, with a volatile ruble, it is what it is. Um, yeah. People are working. They're, they're getting richer. And, and, the, and the Russian economy is expanding from a purchasing power parity perspective, whereas uh, meaning the purchasing power of the ruble and what it buys, in, not in nominal terms, in nominal dollar terms, but in actual um, gross output terms, um, right. when normalized for currency effects, the Russian economy is growing and bigger. It has been bigger than Germany's for years and is growing. And the German economy is, for example, collapsing in both power of, uh, terms and in, in nominal terms. Right. I got a question. Uh, probably it will be the last question of the day. Uh, but to sure. circle back to something that we had scratched on earlier on in the conversation, Elvira Nebulina in Russia's central bank. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that... <clears throat> She was part of the delegation with Putin, is part of the delegation meeting with the uh, Saudis, UAE, other uh, Iranian uh, delegates, She, she or very high-level officials. Um, China's central banks have been able to serve the interests of the nation quite effectively um, over the past years, providing long-term, large-scale credit for all sorts of things outside of sort of the influence of the IMF uh, rules of the game. Russia's mm -hmm. central bank, not so much. She's tended to often act 
more along the IMF orientation. However, you're you've noted that there's likely a big shift going on. Do you do you mm. see that the Russian Russian Central Bank might start behaving like a real national nationalist institution? Or do you do you see it more of a subtle, gradual thing as far as the shift that you noted uh, with her being brought in um, to uh, to these meetings? It's a good question. It's an excellent question because um, uh, Nabulina is a very controversial figure. Um, and I've always accused her of being uh, a, a fifth columnist for years. Me too. And in some ways, Putin has the, the, the job that is undone for Putin within Russia is getting control of the financial industry. And then at the same time, um, getting the, uh, and then making it, you know, um, grow up, right? The credit is still almost, uh, almost unheard of in Russia. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who does business over there, who's done business over there. And he's like, yeah, credit still doesn't exist. Um, so they've got a lot of issues in that respect. Nabilina is someone I, I I kind of like to think of her as someone. It's the the old adage of keep your friends closer, but your enemies closer. I don't think she's an enemy anymore. Um, she's been read the riot act, and she and she is capable. So, but she's also just IMF trained, and so I think at a certain level, it could be it could be as much a, 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 an issue of it's her imprinting, right? It's the way she was trained and taught and everything else. And, you know, it's very difficult for people to shift off of the way they've been imprinted, right? I mean, look, Putin's imprinting was, you know, he was stationed in East Germany in the early part of his career. And for that reason, his imprinting was that he was, you know, sympathetic to Germany. And it's why Angela Merkel's betrayal of him was so enormous. It was a blind spot for him. And so you can almost make the argument, and again, I'm just vamping here, you could make the argument about Nabulina that that's what she's dealing with and she's been struggling with. And, and Putin has had to course correct her multiple times. Um, the bank of Russia and the, the Russian financial system is still, you know, in the still dominated by, you know, people who are not Putin's allies and in some ways Modi and, and Narendra Modi in India has the same problem, right? Um, mm. there's a whole, you know, there's a whole, you know, upper caste in India that were, that got fat and rich under British rule and they still have a lot of money and they still have a lot of power and they still have a lot of influence. And it's why India is always looking, you know, it's always got one foot in the door and out of the door of the bricks. I don't think the iron bricks is India. I've always thought it was Iran. And at the very end, there's, a, there's like a little cap, there's a capital I, which is Iran. And then there's a lowercase I, which is India and the BRICS, and then you add Saudi Arabia to South Africa, and you have B-R-I-I-C-S-S, right? Um, and that's the way I see it at this point. Um, and, and so, yeah, is, is, is there work to be done yet in Russia? Yes, there is. Is that why Putin is running for office again this year? Yes. Job's not done, mm -hmm. and he doesn't have a, a good successor yet, because we don't want Dmitry Medvedev running the country at this point. Though I think Med, Med, uh, Medvedev is another interesting figure. Because he also, you know, early on was very much the, you know, the kind of the Atlanticist, right? And he was the snake in the yeah. grass and the guy you couldn't trust. I don't believe that anymore. I think he's had a full religious conversion. <laughs> you do? Do I you really, think that? It's not, it's not just a show. I, it's not just I don't a think I don't think what we're seeing out of Medvedev, or Medvedev at all is uh, a LARP. Uh, Putin would not have put him in, in charge of the Security Council or mm. given him a, a really 
um, high position. He's either vice chair of the security. Yeah, Putin's the chair of the Security Council, and and Medvedev is the vice chair. And the Security Council is, you know, arguably more important in Russia than the Duma is. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so for that reason, you know, take it for what it's worth. I I would just not. I wouldn't even worry at this point. Med, my problem with Med, with Medvedev at this point is that I think he's lost that old religion so much that he's overcorrecting the opposite way as a hardliner. They're so angry, right, about these things. That's why you can see it in his tweets and you see it in his statements. He's also been, you know, cast as the, in the role of the attack dog, and that's his job. But I think he takes it a little too far. And that just tells me that they're, you know, he's just angry at, you know, what they've done to his country and what they tried to use him to do. All right. This has been an amazing one hour. Thank you so much, Tom Luongo. And uh, we're going to come back for the third segment on Connecting the Dots on TNT.